This episode of The Sleeper and the Bust is brought to you by Out of the Park Baseball 17, the most authentic baseball strategy game ever made. Available now on PC, Mac, and Linux platforms. This is the Out of the Park Baseball you've been waiting for. Not only does Out of the Park Baseball 17 feature its trademark baseball strategy immersion like no other game out there, including nearly 150 years of baseball history in a single package, it now includes the MLBPA license for the first time along with the returning MLB.com license. This means all the real teams, players, logos, ballparks, and more. You simply cannot get more authentic. There are so many community-driven features added this year, we can't list them all here. But a few highlights include accurate 2016 opening day major league rosters, accurate major and minor leagues with authentic names, logos, and rosters dating back over more than a century, an all-new historical exhibition mode that lets you realistically play teams from any year and era against each other in a single game or series. If you want to take those 2001 Mariners who won 116 games but ultimately disappointed when they lost in the ALCS and pit them against the 1954 Cleveland Indians who won 111 games but also disappointed when they lost in the World Series that year, you can now do it and see which one's better. Accurate representation of 2016 MLB faces showing their emotions and aging over time thanks to the MLBPA license and face gen technology. Beautiful improved visuals on and off the field, plus so much more. Even better, if you buy now through the Sleeper in the Bus podcast, you'll receive a 10% discount off of the retail price of $39.99 by going to ootpdevelopments.com and clicking on the order banner. Just enter the code SLEEPER17 at checkout to not only get a discount, but also help support the Sleeper in the Bust, indie sports video game development, and all the people who work to bring you the great game of Out of the Park Baseball 17. Once again, just go to ootpdevelopments.com, click on the order banner, then enter the code SLEEPER17, that's SLEEPER17, at checkout for a special discount and to help support Sleeper in the Bust. And now for the episode. Welcome to episode 325 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Monday, March 28th. I'm your host, Paul Spore, joined by Eno Saris. Eno, we're one week away from opening day. How's it going? It's going good. Got a draft tonight, got a draft tomorrow night, got a divorce plan for Wednesday night. <laughs> <laughs> I was following along. I was like, oh, draft, draft, divorce. Oh, you hit me with it. You hit me with it. Yeah, um, and we were talking off air before we started that, you know, we're, we, we've been asked to, to join another one independently here. And you're like, no way I can go back to the wife and ask for yet another one. Because obviously we're so close that if you join that league, it has to be either this week or next. So it would just be another day in the very near future that you would have to be like, eh, I'm going to be off the grid here for five hours on my computer. Can you please watch the kids? <laughs> Brutal. But uh, this is the best time of the year, draft season. It's, a, it's, at, its, it's at its peak. Uh, and I'm sure last weekend was big for folks, probably not yesterday so much, even though I did have one yesterday night, you know, Easter, so probably tough to do midday ones. Uh, big weekend coming up, going to be tons of drafts. We've got lots to talk about. We've got some bad news to start with, unfortunately, you know, so we're going to dive right in and then we're going to get into your bold predictions. We're going to look at your 10 bold predictions, kind of break them down a little bit, talk about the the guys involved with them, get your thoughts on why you think that they can they can do these bold proclamations that you've given them. 
Let's start with that bad news that I mentioned first. Matt Harvey scratched from tomorrow's start, which puts him in doubt for opening day now. If there's one positive here, one one you know silver lining spin that they have, they're saying it's a non-arm issue or non-elbow issue here. So I guess that part's good. We don't really know what's going on. It is a little bit uh, nebulous right now, but what do you think about this Matt Harvey news with him getting scratched for tomorrow's start and maybe not pitching opening day now? Yeah, I mean, people were, were saying that maybe it could be his groin or, you know, other parts of his groin. Uh, I mean, it's the kind of thing where it's like, it may not be a big deal. I, I, I've gone to the doctor and the doctor's been like, go away. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of here, please. Like, yeah, of course, I'm not worth uh, millions of dollars to my team. So I, I understand why we're all talking about it, but it's, it's, it's impossible. It's even more impossible than the normal impossible, which is like, Hey, you know, what do you think of this medical diagnosis that this player has received? <laughs> I'm exactly. like, well, uh, we can look at the couple of other guys who had this thing and see how long they're going to be out. That's about all we can do, really. So in this case, we can't even do that because we don't even know what it is. So yeah, it, it's bad enough when when us non-medical professionals speculate when there's a, a diagnosis in hand. Now we have no diagnosis, and we're still asked to speculate. And we're still going to as a uh, as a baseball population, and it's not going to go well. So I'm just going to kind of sit back, relax, and 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 try to wait and and see if we can get some more info on it because there, I just don't think it's actionable right now. I don't think I'd bump him down in any drafts or anything like that. I just kind of take a wait and see approach with Matt Harvey. And if you, the rest of your league wants to bump him down, then then scoop him up and, and take a discount. But I, I don't think everyone's going to overreact. Um, I know that sounds crazy to say, especially if you've ever been on Twitter. What? You don't think people are going to overreact? Uh, but but believe it or not, Twitter isn't the entire world. So there's a chance you'll go into your draft, and he'll still go as high as he's been going, and you should draft Matt Harvey as, as you were. At least I'm going to continue to, which is uh, as the third starting pitcher off the board. Next up is Lonnie Chisenhall. Now, he does have a diagnosis. He's headed to the DL with a forearm injury, as if the Cleveland Indians needed to lose another outfielder. Now, on the plus side, at least they recently signed Marlon Byrd. So it looks like uh, with with Byrd there and Naquin uh, officially getting called up and put in uh, center field, Rajay Davis will probably start in left field. They have an outfield, but uh, obviously it's not a great one. Where were you on Lonnie Chisenhall pre-injury, and, and is he off your draft board with an injury now? Oh, I'm so upset about this news. It is such bad timing. I just traded Tyler Naquin for uh, Kendall Graveman because I needed oh. pitching because Kevin Gaussman just went it, it had with the, his shoulder, shoulder. Yeah. So I have a feeling this may not be my year in AL labor. This is uh, this is incredibly bad timing. I actually do like Chisholm Hall, especially as a platoon guy. Um, you know, I still I still think there's probably some opportunity for him in a platoon with Mike Napoli on the DH on the, uh, as a DH. Okay. Um, Mike Napoli's there, right? Mike yeah, Napoli's Napoli first base DH. He and Santana, Santana are kind of flipping. I feel like Santana's a little bit better of a fielder, so I, I would guess. And and uh, Napoli's a right-hander, so there there still could be like if Napoli doesn't hit that well, then there still could be a chance that Chisenhall, even with forearm issues, comes back a little bit and, and DHs. 
Um, there's a little bit of soft landing for him, given it's an American League team. And then just uh, as a lefty hitter, I've just I think that he's he's good enough. I don't I don't think that there's a lot of upside. He's 27. He's not who we were hoping he would be. I guess. Yeah, but, I thought he was going to be a stud. But like, I think he makes enough contact and hits righties well enough that he'll you know even with this, I think he can get to 10 homers, 260 average, and be uh, a deep league asset. But uh, beyond that, I don't think I. I was into him a little bit coming up, but I don't think that, um, you know, that, I think that's gone and there's not much upside beyond that. So yeah. if, you, if you had him in like a 15-teamer, I think you can drop him at this point. I, I thought he'd be a big batting average hitter. That's what I thought Lonnie Chisenhall would be when he was coming up. And we haven't really seen any of that. We saw him hit 280 with the 13 homers in 2014, which offered some promise. But then he he, he crushed that last year, uh, only hitting 246, seven homers, really kind of bottomed out. I hear you, though, as somebody who can be on, on part of a platoon, Lonnie Chisenhall should find some playing time once healthy, but I agree with you as well. 15-teamers, you can even cut him. He's AL only right now, um, and at probably super late, one, do- you know, one, two bucks at the most, I think, is all you'd really have to pay. And if you want to take that gamble, I get it, but I wouldn't go too crazy. Let's talk about yeah, some fifth- I think I paid like five or six, which is, upsets me, but um, you got to discount him a little bit for that uh, for that injury. Let's talk some uh, fifth starter jobs now. This is where we're going to get into the positive news. Guys who are winning jobs and, and, and things are going well for them. <laughs> Nate Carnes and Vincent Velasquez, our boy Vincent Velasquez out in Philly now, uh, both won the fifth starter jobs. Puts James Paxton down for Seattle into the into AAA, where he you know so you can stay on regular work and get every fifth day starts. But uh, I'm not even actually 100% certain who Velasquez beat out. Would it have been Oberholzer then? Uh, it doesn't really matter. I think is is the point I'm trying to make because outside of Velasquez, Nola, and Jared Eikhoff, I'm not sure you need to be all that concerned with the sixth, seventh, and eighth starters in Philly. But we're happy about both of these guys. You are doing a, a big study on fifth starters, uh, not just the guys who are winning these jobs, but fifth starters at large. Can you give us a little bit of a preview of what you're finding uh, for that piece that's coming out tomorrow? Yeah, yeah. And this it's funny. You're like, this is the positive news. It is positive. We love that uh, that Nate Carnes has a job and Vince Velasquez has a job. We, we both like them uh, over the years. And um, and so that's that's the positive me uh, now uh, raining on your parade <laughs> is is uh, this thing that I found. I found that the fifth most prolific starters last year averaged 97 innings. So basically, the fifth starter averaged 97 innings. Give them 100 innings, it's fine. Uh, 100 innings is what you can sort of expect out of the fifth starter because the fifth starter gets skipped a lot early on in the season. The fifth starter is a guy like Vince Velasquez that doesn't have a lot of innings to begin with, so they get skipped. They get skipped around the All-Star break, and then they get put into the bullpen as a stretch man you know, late in the season. Uh, the fifth starter is someone of, of iffy quality, like uh, say, well, we, you know, we still have some hope for Shane Green, but Shane Green is sure. stepping in for, for Daniel Norris. And it's a step-in situation for now. Um, that's what they're saying is that Daniel Norris is going to come back and take it back. So, you know, that's that's what happens to fifth starters. Now, this is only looking backwards. That doesn't mean that every fifth starter here is going to average 100 going forward. What it means is by the end of the year, the fifth best starter averages 100. So that means that a guy like Nate Carnes, who's never really topped 160 innings before, 150 innings before, 
you know, if he if he pitches all year and um, and, and keeps that job, then I think he could get up to 170, 175 if he stays healthy. He's a little bit different than a Vince Velasquez. And, um, and obviously know, with an average, there's going to be some who are, are, are going to be at that high end. Carnes could be one of those. But I hear you on Velasquez. We probably, even with him winning the job, you can't go out there and plan for a big innings workload from, what did you, you say he had last year? 83 innings? So, yeah, 88. And then uh, he, had a, he had 124 in 2013. Um, so, you know, depending on whether they go by his max or his last year, I would, uh, I think that his projection go anywhere from like 110 to 140 mm-hmm. and, um, you know, settling in at like 120 feels like, all right, I think he can maybe get to 120 innings, but that's, you know, I think people are going to be a little bit more excited about him than 120 innings. And I, and I, and I hear it. I mean, he's got a really nice, real high velocity fastball. He's 94, 95. He's got a power curve that's doing you know, top 15, top 20 in, in velocity. And I think the changeup looks good enough. I don't know that it'll be a plus-plus pitch, but it's gotten good results and it has decent movement. I think he trusts it enough to to, to throw it and keep people off balance. So um, he even throws a little bit of a slider. So there's there's a, a couple different ways that he can succeed. Uh, but this year, I think you know he's more of an asset for for later on. Before we move on uh, with Karn specifically, we we saw last year in Tampa Bay that. Uh, they they kind of found that he was good for two times through the lineup, and he could be really really good for that. Every once in a while, maybe let him get through the third time those those handful of starts where he was really clicking. But by and large, they wanted to limit limit him to two times through. You think there's a way that he gets over that hurdle and and, and finds uh, the ability to get through a third time, or is he just kind of a two times through sort of guy, uh, Nate Carnes? Well, they're they're a little bit extreme down there in Tampa. And, you know, I think we've probably seen Tampa and Chicago Cubs do this more than anybody. And, and I don't think that everybody's caught up. Now, I don't know if this means that, you know, everyone's going to start doing it more this year because they saw some success in Tampa and Chicago with it. But, it, it you know, you, you have to have specific personnel on your roster. So when the, when the Cubs traded for Adam Warren, Part of the reason was that he he's the kind of guy that can stretch out. He can stay in your bullpen, but he can also throw three innings. And he's kind of the perfect swingman guy to pair with both Hendricks and Jason Hamill and say, you know, if we can't get these guys more than two times through the lineup, here comes Adam Warren. Mm-hmm. Not every team has Adam Warren. You know, I mean, no, think he's about really good. Yeah, think about like a guy in your bullpen that can average, you know, eighty to one hundred innings. There's not. A lot of guys like that because there's this is the age of specialization. We've driven people to either restarters or relievers, and he's kind of a throwback, uh, you know, kind of old school uh, pitcher. I mean, do the Mariners have that guy on their staff? I don't know. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. that I would guess that the Mariners push him and use him more like a regular um, starter, and that that chance. might be the source of more innings for him. Okay. Um, I mean, like, like, let's look at their staff real quick in terms of relievers. Uh, if Michael Montgomery makes the it makes the bullpen, and and um, I guess he should. Yeah, if Michael Montgomery's he, in there, he's he's a guy that could come in for a couple innings. Him or, or Vidal Nuno would be the would right. be the options, and they're both lefties, so I don't know if that necessarily helps or hurts them. I think it probably hurts them because you know if you think about lefties, they're kind of like catchers where. Uh, 
uh, managers don't like to use them because they always want to have one le- one just left. in case. Yep. Just in case, you know, there's that, that third catcher. He, you know, even if he, he's, you're like, oh, I'll pinch hit him. Well, then what happens if yeah, the, you know, our catchers get hurt? It's the so. 16th inning, and he's still the one guy. You know, when they show the list of all the crossed-off names, it's there's always, always the like the catcher's catch. left. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, uh, you know, uh, Sishek, Benoit, Zick, Cody Martin. So their lefties are Nuno and Montgomery. And Furbush, I guess. So And who's going to start on the DL? Right. So, you know, if you have two lefties, you're really going to use one as a stretch, maybe. Um, but I think more likely they treat, uh, cards as a regular, as a regular starter. Okay. Well, keep an eye on that then folks. Last year he had a 597, uh, OPS that second time through and it jumped to 809. So if he has those same struggles that could really, uh, hurt his numbers. And he was really starting to show some things with Tampa Bay. I know Colette really likes him. His strikeout capability. I think Colette's even said that he could probably do a little bit more. Uh, than the strikeout per inning that he had. He was at 145 in the 147 innings. So we'll be keeping an eye on those. And we'll look out for that piece because you're also going to talk about Kendall Graveman, Chris Medlin. I think you mentioned Stephen Wright. So there's some intriguing fifth starters. I'm sure some of those are going to emerge, as you're mentioning. But don't get your expectations too high just because they won the job. Is that your general takeaway on fifth starters? Yeah, I mean... It is an opportunity they could take it and run and be the third starter by the end of the season. So, but I, I think you you combine the fact that fifth starters traditionally haven't had a lot of innings with the fact that some of these guys have innings concerns, and that's where you you kind of throw a little cold water on it, I guess. Okay, uh, that, that's completely fair. Uh, we got one last uh, news of a guy winning a job right now. That's Tyler White. Speaking of Jason Collette, he's very giddy about this news. This was one of his uh, $2 plays in, in AL Tout. Sneaky guy for the Astros who looks like he's got a beat on the first base job. Jonathan Singleton, I don't think he's going to get that gig. And it's looking like t- Tyler White's going to be the beneficiary there. What can you tell us, you know, about Tyler White for the Houston Astros? I know that Dan Farnsworth really liked him. And, um, you know, it is the kind of near major league projectable, not not projectable, projectable is more when you're talking about young guys. This is more like a, a, a more of a, a finished product near major league type swing that I think is right in Farnsworth's wheelhouse where he really, he can really tell you about a, a, a guy who's going to play this year and how well he's going to do in, in terms of uh, his, uh, his swing. So, um, you know that's a that's a good sign. I mean, you know, he, get, he picked uh, Jung Ho Gong and, and JD Martinez before anybody did, and, and he liked he really liked Tyler White and said he was going to get this job. So I think that's uh, those those are both really good signs. Um, as for uh, you know what else I can say, I, I can say that he is a little bit of a weird guy. I mean, he's five foot eleven. He's a little round. <laughs> that's yeah. a that's such a nice way to put it. <laughs> That's really nice of you, Eno. Five eleven and a little round. That that does accurate accurately describe White. But um, I know that the numbers like him because he he's walked more than he struck out uh, for three years in a row now. And uh, you know, I guess that the the reason why that you know, in order to be a first base prospect, you need to have such a great bat to overcome the fact that you're not going to provide defensive value to your team. Mm-hmm. And I think that people looked at his kind of ordinary power numbers in a couple of places and said he's not going to have the power to be a first baseman. But if you look at any given situation, like, say, the Astros this year, 
then guys like this can come to the fore and get a chance. And then sometimes they, they take it and run and have a, you know, Rico Bronia career or, or in some cases the they just, they kind of become like a, a backup or whatever. But in this case, he's, he looks like he'll start. I just don't think that, you know, he's going to be that great. I think he's going to be like a 270 hitter with, you know, like 15 home run type power, which just happens to be better than, you know, the other options they had at this time. Exactly. Singleton's just not really coming together that much. And in terms of getting your power, when, you, when you're looking at the Astros as a whole and when they're kind of doing their whole board, they understand that they get, they're getting power elsewhere. Um, you know, Carlos Correa, that kind of power that they're getting at shortstop maybe allows them to take a little bit less power from a power position like first base because they're making it up elsewhere. You know, George Springer's obviously going to be huge for them. Colby Rasmus gives them great power in the outfield. Uh, Luis Valbuena, I, I, you know, he'll be he'll be knocking around. Preston Tucker, they're going to get their power elsewhere. So even if Tyler White is not a big power resource, uh, the Astros at large shouldn't be too worried about it. So he's a name to remember, particularly in your AL only leagues. Maybe deep uh, reserve 15-team kind of situation for mixed leagues. I wouldn't get too crazy because you do have to slot them in that first base or corner. And in fantasy, you do want power there. So unless you're you're stocked up with with power elsewhere, you, you want to be careful. But um, Colette got him for two bucks. I think he was his utility man. Perfect pick for him there. And if they redo that draft, he's probably a six seven dollar now guy now that he made the team. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk about your bold predictions. You know, you put these up uh, just a little while ago, what, two weeks ago, I think, uh, where we, we've been running them out. Mine are going to come out, I think, tomorrow, actually. So uh, maybe we'll talk about those later in the week. And, you know, there's some names on here that folks are not going to be surprised about, guys that we talk about kind of regularly. But I want to get your thoughts on on why you feel these these particular guys can can pop, can be big this year. Let's start right at the very top. There will be three top 30 starters on the Reds this year. This is a big one. This is a, this is a big one right off the bat. Obviously, the second they see something written by Eno and they hear about the Reds, they're thinking Anthony Descofani and Rysel Iglesias. Obviously, those are two guys that jump off the page right away. But who else are you feeling uh, can compete for that? And, and are those first two guys that you're saying are yeses there? Yeah, I mean, those are the two guys that I had to push it past that to be bolder. And yeah. uh, now, now looking back, I'm like, I wish I just said top 50, but um. <laughs> you said to, no, you said top 30. We're holding you to it. Went, went for it there. I, I, I really like John Lamb's movement on his pitches. He has a rising fastball, a really deep, slow curveball, and then a cutter that kind of goes in between the two. So I, I think that that's all three eye levels and velocities and movements that you could need. I mean, there's things bending in every direction. And so that's why I like him. I know his command hasn't been great. His velocity on his fastball isn't great. And so that's led to some home run issues in the past. But I just feel like the National League is a great place to figure that out. And, uh, you know, just a little bit of health and just a little bit of something. You know, the back is hurting right now. Otherwise, I would have just put Lamb in there. Uh, but he's he's hurting right now. And he's going to start on the on the disabled list. But Homer Bailey, you know, a healthy Homer Bailey, we've seen what he does. And then Brandon Finnegan. I really like him. He, I know he's working on a curve, but even without that curve, I think his changeup is enough. We know he has an excellent fastball and slider. And I think, you know, he has enough velocity and enough that slider is good enough that it's it's not quite a Carlos Rodon situation, but, you know, it kind of is in that 
there's a lot to like there. And you're just looking for like a little tweak in terms of getting that the most out of that stuff. So, you know, between those three guys, I, I'll throw somebody in with Discofani and Iglesias. I, I did I did back off of its boldness by not naming that third one, but I you know, since I said top thirty, I think you can give me uh, give me a little grab bag there at the end. Yeah, of it. I, I think we'll give you a little leeway there since you did say top thirty to to kind of pick that third one. Maybe uh, folks can pick their preference from there. You know, if Bailey was going to get enough time, definitely love that name. I was huge on him coming in last year, and then of course he goes down with TJ Lamb was someone we were talking about this winter. The back injury is a bummer. Finnegan's a really interesting name, and I, I think he's kind of forgotten, a little bit overlooked there in Cincinnati. I, I encourage folks not to forget about Brandon Finnegan, particularly in your NL only leagues, but even in your in your deeper mixers, at least keep him on your watch list because that's a good one that could really pop for you. And even Lamb has its useful his usefulness. I love you know filling that DL slot to begin the season and filling it with him rather than you Darvish is going to cost more or Alex Cobb who. It's not going to come back till August. I, I don't draft Alex Cobb, folks. It's a waste of your time this year. I don't understand that honestly because his 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 uh, surgery was a little bit earlier than that. I mean, didn't he miss all of last year? Uh, I think he was in like May. Okay. And and they're just so slow with it, yeah, you know. They are slow. So anyway, but anyway, my point was in general, don't fill it with a TJ returner because now TJs are 15 months mm-hmm. instead of uh, 12 months. And, um, so, you know, I think, uh, I think I would fill it with, uh, with, a with a back injury guy first, you know, I completely because, agree. You know, it's not going to take all year and it's just, I mean, I hope, I don't think it will. So I think he'll be better. Next up, Marcelo Ozuna will hit more than 25 homers. Love this one. I'm a big Ozuna guy. Jumped out, jumped on board again last year after his, his big breakout, it didn't go so well, you know, going back to the well for for a second year. But I like that you're coming back. He's a young guy, you know. If he kind of keeps his keeps his head on right, I know he got a little bummed. Uh, I guess that's putting it mildly. You know, he was, he was kind of <laughs> petulant about getting sent down, and then had a little bit of an attitude situation to go with it. So that that lingers overhead. But he's slated, you know, obviously going to be with the team to start the season. That team is supposed to be good this year. I mean, they're always supposed to be good. They've got good talent up and down the lineup, and it's looking like he's going to be in the in the upper half of the lineup, Marcelo Zuna. So the power's unquestioned. I'm not even worried about the park because his power can play everywhere. You're seeing 25 homers. Is this, is this the year that he puts it all together, uh, or puts it back all together, I should say, because 2014 was pretty damn good for Ozuna as well. Yeah, I think basically 2014 – is a is a place is a more reasonable place to look, but then the bold prediction is to push past that. And the reason I say that is is multifold. I mean, they, they move the fences in in, Mar, in in Marlins Park this year, so that's that's, right. that's I think that's going to be useful to him. Um, young guys under twenty five that had an up the middle approach uh, see their biggest gains. Um, you know, between twenty five and twenty six. So he's he's ready he's right in the right place of the aging curve to take advantage of what he's done and then just like just like from a more anecdotal and um, uh, scouty sense I I really like that he's made these adjustments over his career I mean he's he's cut his swing strike rate and a strikeout rate for a couple of years in a row now and then he's also been, become more up the middle where I, I'm sure that they asked him to, to spray the ball around a little bit more or something, but he, he came up 
more pull than he is now, and he's kind of he's shifted a lot of his pull to to the center. And I really like that. I think that's the, that's what you want out of a young guy. I, I don't know why they didn't. I think they probably spent too much time thinking about what he was talking about and not really looking at what he was doing. Because, you know, if you look past the home runs last year, the, the, the batted ball spray and the strikeout stuff was, was, was good. He was actually doing some good work there. So I think at uh, this level, this is the sort of let him eat year where they're going to give him the job and he's either got to play his way off the team in terms of, you know, get traded or play his way so good that, um, that he, you know, makes good on this bold prediction and gives us 25 homers, 260, 270 average, and uh, a good season, probably some steals in there even. He's also a stat cast darling. Mar- Marcelo Zuna rips the ball. When we talked with Mike Petriello yeah. a while back uh, when he was on the podcast, he, he spoke highly of Marcelo Zuna. So, you know, everything's kind of there. We've seen it before. Um, the, the scouting kind of meets up with, with the numbers. I like Ozuna. Great call there. Number three. This year, Jumbo Diaz or Hunter Strickland becomes a closer. So you got two guys, um, Jumbo Diaz out in Cincinnati. Obviously, that's a little bit of an uncertain situation, so we could see him weaseling his way in. Strickland has a little bit more of a blockade when you talk about Santiago Casilla and possibly Sergio Romo, but he's got all the makings for being a closer, and and we've talked him up all winter as well. I'm, I'm high on Strickland right there with you. Both One of these guys could become a closer, First off, between the two, who would you handicap as as, as the uh, more likely of the two? Strickland, just because Diaz is in one of those uh, scrum situations where it's, it's actually not that easy to pick out the guy, and it may be like in Philly where it's just a big mess all year long. Yeah, and it doesn't and, seem like anybody wants to take hold of that job in Philly at all. I mean, Andrew Bailey right now, Daniel, uh, David Hernandez— it's ugh, it's ugly out and there. And we know that there is a line, actually, where there are closers so bad that, that just a good reliever is better to own than, than those closers. So I actually think that you know Philly and Cincinnati will probably end up being those situations where we're chasing saves there all year, but it isn't really that exciting, and it's kind of back-end stuff and maybe even below replacement-level stuff on some fantasy teams. You know, Sometimes we people get too excited about just the save stat and, and roster really bad players. So um, really bad pitchers. So as for uh, San Francisco, I've just been telling Hunter Strickland this for like three years running now that he's going to be the closer. And every year he, you know, he does a little something that makes it more likely. I mean, he, he, he's added more of a split finger. He's added a sinker. He has great command of his four seam fastball. He can really hit the outside corner. But now with uh, those other pitches, he can, you know, do some stuff down below the zone and above or high the zone and kind of keep them off of just hanging out there over on that pitch. So there was some talk about him tipping pitches, but since they've been, you know, thinking about this for a year, I have a feeling that there's whatever issue he had is is not really there anymore. So I'm going to take him. And I think that, you know, velocity and strikeout rate is the is the biggest are the biggest two things that project a a closer change. And he's like one of the more obvious guys in any bullpen where you're like, oh, yeah, he's got the velocity and strikeout rate of a closer, and neither of the other two guys do. 
yeah, Strickland's got all the stuff to be a total stud. I know Romo kind of got him, himself back together last year, and Casilla held the job all year. And I think I guess he's had now for what uh, two and uh, one and one and a half, one and two thirds of a year, I guess. But I I just don't believe in Casilla. So maybe it's just because I want Strickland to be the closer, but he's got all the stuff. I think I think it's going to happen as well. So I'd pick him of the two. But Jumbo Diaz, you know, we've we've done the JJ Hoover thing before. So just because he's the guy right now, I don't think that that's anything that you have to run away from Diaz. Or I know some folks like Tony Singrani as maybe uh, on the come up over there as well. You know, Michael Lorenzen is somebody who closed in college um, and he's with the Cincinnati Reds. I'm not sure if he's going to make the team or not, but he could also enter that picture at some point as well. So that's going to be a wide open situation. San Francisco one is a little bit more uh, set in stone right now, but a faltering Casilla, who I think is 36 this year, would open the door for Strickland. Next up, Jake Lamb will hit 20 home runs. This is this is nice here because you got uh, <laughs> the opening line of the Jake Lamb entry is the best. Call me Jesus because I love the Lambs. <laughs> because you'd mentioned John Lamb, obviously, in, in that first one, and now you're, now you're here with Jake Lamb. Uh, out in Arizona, third base prospect, got lots of pop. Could, could be in the middle of that order, which is a good order. Uh, I shouldn't say middle. I guess he's more of a 6-7 guy, but you know, not not at the very bottom with his pop. Tell us a little bit about Jake Lamb and, and his prospects this year. Well, he's projected to hit 12 homers. He's you know He had he had more home runs in the minor leagues, more power in the minor leagues before that. And uh, I think the projections are probably just on the fact that their projections are a little bit low because he played through injury last year, was hurting all year. And I think that led to his low power numbers. So that's that's one part. And the other part is actually a little bit more disconcerting for me because I'm I'm requiring of him I'm requiring something of him to take. Like he's making an adjustment right now, and I'm hoping it takes, which is that he's trying to kind of put more loft into his swing and and hit um, with more of an uppercut swing to get more power. And you know if that doesn't take, it could be a long miserable year where. He's kind of in between two swings and doesn't figure it out and could look a lot like last year. So that's that's the risk. I'd rather that he made the change and I had seen it and said, you know, that looks awesome. But I think right now he's a little bit still in between and it may not work out. And that might be one of the ones I feel the least strongly about in terms of my bold predictions. But at the same time, if he does put that together again with the fact that he was under projected for power because of his injuries last year with the minor league power rates that he had with the park that he's in with that lineup, it could be a really good year. I mean, he's not, he's not going for much either. So that's the thing. He's a bargain basement price. Jake lamb is. So, uh, that third base can really dry up too. And, and if you, if you kind of get stuck and you're late or even just a corner infield probably is the best solution for Jake lamb, but it looks like, it looks like he's got the job should get some time only 25 years old. There's a lot of growth potential there. So I like Jake lamb as well. It's a good name. Uh, let's stay on his team. Cause that's where your number five comes from. Shelby Miller will make me happy. I didn't trade him. Now the backstory there is that you tried to shop him in an auto new league this off season and it didn't really take. And so you quote unquote got stuck with him, but, uh, yeah, you're thinking that he's going to make you not uh, not regret that at all. And I actually agree. Uh, I had to adjust one of mine because I was going to do a Shelby Miller one. I figured, you know what? You obviously already posted yours. We don't have to go to the well twice with Shelby Miller. But I like him as well. I think he's a guy that's being a little bit overrated or, uh, excuse me, overlooked, underrated. Um, 
and I think it's a weird phenomenon where the trade that he was involved in is being held against him as if it matters on the fantasy landscape at all. You know, he obviously got traded for a boatload. Atlanta really, you know, won that deal on paper. Everyone seems to think that uh, they're going to win that deal. But that doesn't mean that Shelby Miller's a bad pitcher. I think he's a really good pitcher, and I think he's going to slot in pretty well there in Arizona. Tell us a little bit about Shelby Miller and, and why you're hoping that he doesn't make you, uh, that he makes you happy you didn't trade him after all. Well, the projections aren't great for him either, and it has something to do with the fact that he hasn't had really good swing strike rates or strikeout rates despite his stuff. And um, when he's been good, he's suppressed home runs. The thing is, and, and that's not normally a skill that you want to bank on, but the thing is that he averages 94 on a fastball, and fastballs over 94 give up fewer home runs uh, than fastballs under 94. So he actually has a fastball that can help suppress uh, home runs. So, you know, I know he's going to a bad park for that, but uh, I have a feeling that if he keeps his velocity, he's going to have better home run per nine numbers than he's projected into. And then on top of that, his changeup actually changed last year. He, he added three inches of drop by the end of the season, and that's, that's a new movement for him. He's never had movement like that on the changeup. So, you know, he, he put away the changeup and became really good with the cutter and the curve and the fastball. But then late in the season, he brought that change up back and it looked better. So I don't know what, maybe he went to a splitter or something like that. Maybe he's not going to be comfortable throwing it a ton. But if he is comfortable throwing it more and it's a better pitch, then he's going to be a different pitcher. He's going to be the pitcher that we all thought he was going to be when he came up. Yeah, I I couldn't have said it. Couldn't, I couldn't have said it better myself on Shelby Miller. I love your your finishing line on that bit too. Consider zigging on this industry zag because everyone's just down on him, and I don't really get it. Shelby Miller, this is a guy 25 years old with incredible stuff. We're usually dying to get guys like this and overrating the hell out of them. And for some reason, uh, a lot of folks are down on Shelby Miller. Well, not Eno Saris and Paul Spores. So deal with that, mm-hmm. folks. Have you ever been frustrated trying to buy tickets online? Most sites make it complicated and then try to sneak in huge fees at checkout. That's why you need to try SeatGeek. They've made it easier than ever to buy and sell sports and concert tickets. I've got the SeatGeek app on my phone, and honestly, I've been using it to plan out my MLB games for this year. I I go to a handful every year, obviously um, in Houston or Dallas because I live in Austin, but... My most recent experience was with buying tickets for my beloved Detroit Tigers. I'm going up there in May. And so I checked out the app, and they've made it really easy. And I'm sure that you kind of heard, but they've taken all the work and hassle out of shopping for tickets. SeatGeek pulls all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming games, and SeatGeek will let you know if the price falls. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is given a grade based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. Best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. Unlike StubHub, SeatGeek shows you the full ticket price from start to finish and never surprises you with huge fees at checkout. Now, our listeners can get $20 re- rebate off of their first SeatGeek purchase. To get the $20 rebate, all you got to do is download the free SeatGeek app. Again, that's free. Go to the Settings tab and click on Add a Promo Code. Enter promo code SLEEPER, S-L-E-E-P-E-R. SeatGeek will send you 20 bucks after you've made your first ticket purchase. It's that easy. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code SLEEPER today. Number six. 
Chris Coughlin fights his way into the starting lineup status in all leagues. And you said literally that he's going to punch players on your roster just to get into. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we talked. No, we, we've talked about yes, this. Yes, th- this one we dude. talked a little bit about. We, we we've yeah. explored the avenues there, Danny Blunt. So we don't have to go too deep on it. But um, what's what's the shallowest league that you're drafting him? Uh, is it 12 team? Would you take him as a reserve? No. Okay, you got to be 15. Team. No, I'd want to be 15 team, 5 OF with an MI. Okay. That's uh, that he could be a decent bench guy because he could back your guy up. He's going to get some middle infield time. And uh, the fifth outfielder slot sometimes in those leagues ends up being a platoon situation. So I think he uh, will be one of those multi-eligibility guys. I think I'd rather it be H2H than in Roto, actually, because then um, even if uh, he doesn't get all of the playing time or is, isn't as amazing as he could be, um, you'd still get some extra play appearances from him on those days off for other, te- other players. So, uh, yeah, 15-team Head-to-head with five outfielders and an MI, and, I think, is right at one. Uh, Coughlin played 15 games at second last year, and in uh, a lot of league formats, he can still qualify at middle or second there. Obviously, 20 is the industry standard, but there are certain formats where you can still get him in at middle, and if you can get Chris Coughlin in at middle, that's where he's really effective. So I, I like him as well. Again, we've talked about him uh, quite a few times this, this offseason so far. Next up. Kevin Gaussman. This year, Kevin Gaussman finally cashes in on his natural talent. Now, obviously, you wrote this on the 15th, and he's gotten the shoulder tendonitis since then. Would you still keep him in if you if you did the piece today, or would you adjust him out? Uh, shoulder tendonitis, yeah, it's not good, but uh, hopefully it's not going to be a big deal. I still feel decent about it. I mean, what I like about him is is uh, not health stuff. I mean, what I like about him is that he's started finally getting pop-ups with his rising fastball, and he, he found a curve that, you know, is way better than a slider. So, you know, those those things are still good, even, you know, with this news. And it's really, from what I remember, the first news of bad health news of his career. So, uh, Yeah, I can't I'm recall not, anything else. I can't, I'm not that worried about it. I mean, he, you know, he's more their fifth starter anyway, and he only barely got to 100 innings last year. So, you know, I was hoping for 140, 150 innings out of him. He could still get there. Kevin Gaussman, a well-known sleeper in the bust, uh, poster boy. Uh, we, we're big fans. Let's hope he stays healthy. Let's hope he gets on track here. You know, let's just hope that he has a 1% less season than Julio Tehran so that Chris List doesn't blow me up all freaking summer <laughs> on how much better he is. I ha- can't believe I had to go against Kevin Gaussman. That, that that hurt my heart, but I just had to I had to go to the mat for Julio Tehran. Sorry. All right, number eight. I really want this one to come true. This is a, this is a really good one. It's good, bold prediction here. This is, this is what we're talking about when we're talking about bold predictions. Brandon Belt is a top five first baseman. That's a damn good one. Because, you know, first base obviously stacked, but Brandon Belt has shown a lot of skills. Now, if there's one question about him, it's really that health piece kind of related to the concussions, really. And those those have wreaked havoc on some folks in recent past. Justin Morneau, they basically ended Corey Kosky's career. Uh, so that can be brutal, and I think that that's something that's tough to really figure out. So if we're going in assuming he's healthy, I think one of the underrated factors about Belt is not only is his power emerging – but he also throws in a little bit of speed like a lot of these guys that we're seeing recently. Rizzo, Goldschmidt, you know, that, that's been their big allure. Uh, Votto is that they also throw in the speed. So if his power took another step forward uh, for Belt along with the average that he's already shown and that speed, 
there, there's a there's a path to this top five. So tell us a little bit about Brandon Bell. Yeah, and actually the the the, the first path that I got to was that if you take runs on RBI out of last year's for rankings for first baseman, if you take runs on RBI out, Brandon Belt was a, a sixth best first baseman last year. So, you know, that included some time off for, uh, for injury. And, um, you know, I'm also hoping for a little bit of growth beyond that, but not a ton of growth. What I'm saying is basically that I think the team around him is going to be better. I think, you know, as much as Joe Panic. And Matt Duffy could take steps back in terms of output. Joe Panic, I think, will be on the field more, you know, for more time. I mean, I think he'll be healthy more this season. I think Duffy's return to earth won't be that big of a deal because he wasn't that bad, bad or good to begin with. He's just a guy who makes a lot of contact and has a little bit of power. You know, it's not, you know, it's not uh, brain science there. I don't think that he's he was so far over his head that it's going to take the whole team down. Plus, Hunter Pence is going to be more healthy. Denard Spahn is going to be better. And uh, they push Pagan and, and Blanco and all those guys into a platoon situation in the left field. So I think this team is going to score more runs. And so that's going to that's going to float his runs and RBI total back to about where they should be. And uh, and that should take him all the way up to, you know, like according to last year, sixth best. And then all I need for him is to be, you know, a little bit healthy. You know, yes, the concussions were bad and people want to talk about Maurer, but Maurer was a catcher. And oh, yeah, uh, lost more time to it than Belt has, and uh, you know Belt is reasonably young. This isn't a Justin Morneau situation where Morneau had been having them his whole career, and and it was near the end of his career. You know they really got to him. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna have faith that that, that part is good. I I haven't seen you know research that says that you know I I do know that uh, concussions can make you more likely to have more concussions, but. He's not a catcher, so I don't think that he's necessarily has to get hit on the head a lot. Yeah, you know what I mean. No, that, that that's, that's a good that's point. What I'm, I mean, saying. I'm not saying that he that that he that if hit on the head, he wouldn't maybe be more likely to have a concussion. I'm just like, well, why does he necessarily have to get hit in the head? No, so, I think that's uh, that's the best point there in terms of worrying about Brandon Bell's concussions is that you know at first base he's not necessarily in harm's way to get to get blasted a, a whole bunch in the head. Yeah, so you know. The team improves around him. He stays about the same, except Olivia a little bit healthier, and and that's that's his path to you know top five. And and then also I think some of the stuff are, like there's other players around him and in that top five currently that um, that you know could fall away and uh, and and allow him you know to ascend. I mean, uh, we have Edwin Encarnacion there. He's a little bit hurt. He has yeah, a slight injury a, history, yes. He can, I mean, he's yeah. already hurt, and he gets hurt every year. Right. And then Miguel Cabrera, we don't know if last oh, year's whoa, hurting whoa. was. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, we just don't know. I mean, he never, like, would he never been on the DL or something? Correct. And yeah. Then last year, just, yeah. So we don't know if it's, like, you know, just the beginning of something or if um, he, you know, literally is, like, going to start breaking down. So I think those are two opportunities. And then there's always just a freak injury. I mean, Rizzo gets hit a lot. Rizzo crowds the plate and his HBPs yeah. are through the roof, and that it's is like, a little bit it's worrisome. Like second baseball, yeah. So um, I don't think that uh, it's impossible for he- other health issues to push guys down. And then you know he'd be. Uh, I think I put Belt personally. I put Belt. Uh, you guys had him in, in, at around fifteen. I put Belt around twelve myself. 
And uh, that means that he's in a group that could ascend uh, into that fifth slot with like uh, Chris Davis, Joey Votto, uh, Freddie Freeman, Eric Hosmer, and Brandon Belt. That that all they all seem like you know. I, I, yes, Davis probably has the best chance to do it, but um, you know, in order for these bold predictions to go right, things have to go like certain things have to be crazy anyway. Yeah. So. It- it isn't always just the guy either that you're pro- you're projecting for something. Some things have to happen around him, but that's why they're bold projection, uh, bold predictions. And uh, Brandon Belt is top five first baseman. Definitely is viable. I like when that's that's a, that's a thing. You can be bold and you can just say something crazy, but is there a real path to it? And I think there is a real path to this one. Next up, Ruby De La Rosa makes you want not want to swallow your puke. Listen, I never want to swallow my puke. But, I know the, the that was poorly put together. Makes makes you not want to swallow your puke. Like he normally makes you. He make yeah. he normally makes you vomit in your mouth, and then you like and have to keep it in. Smoke. Right. And finally, he's not going to be making you throw up. Is basically yeah, what I'm trying I guess to say. that's basically what I'm which saying. Which is which would be great because there have been times that Ruby De La Rosa has made me just want to vomit. Um, you know, watching him against left-handers, I'm I'm projectile vomiting all the time, and I'd rather not this year. And, and I I believe you've found a way that there's a path to that. And what is it, Eno? Well, he's been doing it all spring. He's been throwing inside, and he's been throwing inside to lefties. And that, what happened was that they just sat over the over the outer edge of the plate and and went the other way on him. And that's why the changeup got spanked, and you know he he was in trouble against lefties last year. But just by going inside, and he doesn't have great you know, natural command or anything, but by just by going inside and what I've seen is that he, when he misses, he misses high and over the plate. So, um, I, I like what I've seen. I, it's not that he has actually hit his spots inside and, and, and look great in that way. No, he still has bad command, but he's shown intent to throw inside and has gotten there enough to, to keep the hitters honest. So back him off the I've plate seen, a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, and also like even, uh, even like high and not necessarily uh, like when he's missing, he's missing like high and over the plate. So those are like pop-ups and, and, and whiffs a lot of times because the batter thinks he can get at it, but it's like 95, 96. Like he still has that velocity, right? Yeah. So when he misses, it's high and over the plate and it's not uh, that's not super hittable, but by sort of getting them to think high and in, at all, then that makes that change up off the outside part of the plate uh, much more effective. So, you know, and then he, he he's throwing a hard slider, like a Warthen slider type hard slider, uh, which I think will would be the, the breaking ball that needs, and he has 96 mile an hour gas. So I don't think he's a very good pitcher overall because he doesn't have very good command, and, you know, I'm not sure that his career is going to be long and, and, and fruitful, but right now is the he's going to be the best he can be in the next couple of years where – you know, he's finally putting together the different pitches that he needs. He still has the velocity, and he can be good. Yeah, there's a lot of talent there for Ruby De La Rosa, and as he's sorting it out, he should he, he has the, the ability to have a couple really good years, and hopefully this is one of them. All right, number 10, Brett Laurie is a top-half second baseman when it's all over. This is particularly interesting because you look at the second base ranks, and you got the three guys at the top, Altuve, Gordon, and Cano kind of standing out well above the class. Uh, Odor obviously is uh, coming up quickly there in that in that next grouping. But after that, it's a cluster of really similar guys. And, and if you don't get one of those top ones, uh, we'll say top four, if we, if we throw Odor in there, then you should just wait and you can really wait on somebody like Laurie. 
and it's not hard to see that maybe he finally does a little something because he did he did a little something in Oakland, but it was in Oakland, and uh, you know the OBP wasn't really there. But a 16 homer, 60 home, uh, 60 RBI season with five stolen bases, 64 runs. That was in the bottom of the order in Oakland. This Chicago order should be better too. So I I don't know. I like this one as well. Tell us a little bit about Brett Laurie. Um, at age 26, can he finally get it done and pan out on those big projections that we had for him after the 2011 season? Yeah, I mean, he's still younger than people think. You know, as part of the deal, he's he's. Uh, I mean, the, uh, he's been around forever, but he's 26, so he's right there in his peak. Uh, last year, I think he was probably the 11th or 12th best second baseman. We ranked him with a third baseman, so it's a little bit hard to 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 port that over. But he was basically the same as Neil Walker. Last year, Neil Walker is ranked 17th, so you could you could push Laurie just based on com, um, sort of comps and what they did last year. Uh, and and Laurie's younger, so push him ahead of Laurie uh, ahead of Walker. So now he's you know you're 16, 15 with a with a Laurie projection of just a regular projection. And then what I'm saying is the better team around him, and you know, park factors aren't like uh, park parks don't affect people in a linear fashion. So I could see him. Given his time in Oakland, you know, he's not like he hit 30 home runs when he was in Toronto, but he did have better power numbers. And, you know, he's learned a lot since then. So what I'm saying is basically that he's going to take more advantage of this park this time through. Hopefully he'll start making contact on those breaking balls because people are throwing him so many breaking balls. Didn't he but, have a game uh, like where he struck out four times and it was all breaking balls or something crazy like that? Yeah, yeah they threw him... Um, they threw him ten breaking balls in a row. Keone Kayla and uh, maybe Feldman or something. There was two two guys, two pitchers, like threw him ten breaking balls in a row. And uh, and uh, so that's the book on him, I guess. But the problem is, you know, when I looked at that, I found that Russ Martin did that to him when he was a manager, uh, when he was a um, uh, a catcher for the Yank. Was he the catcher of the Yankees? Yeah. Russell Martin, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when they were when they were doing some AL East battles there, when he was part, yeah, he he called tons of breaking balls on on uh, Brett Laurie, and that was years ago. So you know, I think different catchers have different books, and just because it's been a you know been useful at times doesn't mean that he can't hit a breaking ball. I mean, if he can't hit a breaking ball, then yes, there's no choice, there's no chance for him. But I just I don't think that's the case. I think that. He gets in his head, and then people throw him like eight million breaking balls, and he's just like, "Is this one where it's not going to be a breaking ball anymore? Is this the one?" You know, like, it, the, it can't be now. They've thrown nine yeah, in a row. No exactly. way. Exactly. I mean, who thinks that there's going to be ten in a row? So uh, I think people just like to screw with him, basically. But you know, uh, you know, in a lineup where there's not as much pressure on him. And a, and a better lineup, better park. I, I just think that uh, you know he's a decent player that uh, we have ranked 22. That I would probably push all the way up to MI status, 18, 16, something in there. And then I could see things breaking right. I mean, to get ahead of Daniel Murphy is it, is it going to be that hard? No, I think that that's definitely possible. Uh, so I, I, I like Brett Laurie as well. Been kind of you know riding that train forever. So maybe I'm just reluctant to get off of it because if if he then has a huge season I, I i'll be so pissed i'll be so pissed if if i didn't have any shares of brett brett laurie and then he had a big you know 20 10 
270 sort of season. So we'll, we'll see how it goes with the White Sox. He should be up near the top of the order as well. At least that's what Re- Roster Resource has him initially. We'll see how that uh, how that plays out for the White Sox. But uh, that wraps up your 10 bold predictions, Eno. And that wraps up today's episode. I don't know if you guys can hear. There's some crazy crap happening in the parking lot right now. I don't know what's going on. But uh, I think that's a good time to end the podcast as well, you know, and, and come back later this week and talk more baseball. Again, we're, we're a week away from opening day. I, maybe we'll have some sort of opening day extravaganza next week. I guess you and I will have to figure that out. But uh, we'll, we will talk again later this week. Until then, take care, you know. Yes, thanks for listening. <laughs>